to another episode of the weekly update from the firm of Greenstein Rogoff Olsen Company. My name's Ron Cohen. We're a CPA firm in Fremont, California. Our phone number is at 510-797-8661. We're always available to talk if you have uh, questions. All right, in today's episode, we're going to cover four different subjects. First on cryptocurrency. There's some news going on there. Um, the IRS is f- trying to fix itself again for the 30th time. We'll talk about some proposals and programs they have going on, and we'll talk about deficits and taxes. And we'll talk about also scams and private collection agencies the IRS is using in today's episode. All right, first of all, let me cover a few caveats uh, here. First of all, please do not rely on anything you hear here. This is no no professional opinions given through this podcast. Uh, Before you take any tax advice, please make sure you've worked with a professional, laid out all the facts, make sure they understand them. And uh, before you use any advice with any transaction or in filing any tax return. Second of all, um, we, I completely plagiarize everything I hear. In the tax business, we go from the code, regulations, what, what other advisors say and hear and write about and use it commonly. So we're not writing any novels here. And uh, I try to give credit when I can for uh, things I hear and talk about on this podcast. But don't assume anything you hear here is an original thought. Uh, thirdly, there's no politics. We try not to get into any of that. There's other podcasts you can go into to hear politi- politics all day long. Although often in the tax world, politi- political goals drive tax legislation. So we'll explain some of that as we go on. And our firm is available to do planning and to help you make your life easier and reduce your compliance burden and try to get to the lowest possible tax. All right, so let's start off with cryptocurrency. Well, this has been an issue all the way back since 2014, and those of you who've been following Bitcoin have seen its rise and fall, and it's kind of in the middle now but in terms of value. And the IRS has been trying to deal with how cryptocurrency is treated for tax purposes. I think the biggest intellectual problem with this is um, just like when you use U.S. dollars, you feel that is a currency, right? That there, you uh, get a dollar, you use a dollar. That's not a transaction for which you have to report anything for taxes. You may buy something with it that you have to report, or you may may receive dollars and selling something in some type of exchange. But the use of the currency itself, with some exceptions, especially when foreign currency gets involved. Um, is is not any kind of taxable event. Well, when Bitcoin and all these cryptos came into into uh, into being used back in 2014, the IRS uh, made it clear that they view the Bitcoin itself as property, which is a real problem. 
because now the, the Bitcoin, for example, and there's other types, but I'll just use Bitcoin as a summary here. Um, the Bitcoin is, is, is not just like a U.S. dollar. So if you buy some Bitcoin for a dollar, I know that's way low, but if you buy some Bitcoin for a dollar and then you go buy a cup of coffee with it in some stores or places that take the Bitcoin, weeks later and the Bitcoin's worth $3.00, you have a couple of things going on. One, of course, you bought the cup of coffee. That's personal use property. That's just food. There's no real tax uh, consequences of buying a cup of coffee unless it's with a business meeting or something. But put all that nonsense aside. But you have a transaction with regard to property in the Bitcoin. You bought something for a dollar. Let's say it was worth $3 when you used it to buy the cup of coffee. Maybe you got changed back in U.S. currency from giving them your three Bitcoin uh, at the time. Now you have a reporting requirement on a Form 8949 or Schedule D or so in your tax return regarding that transaction. You have a gain. You, uh, you, you sold it at $3. You bought it at $1. You have a $2 gain. It can be long-term or short-term. It is all kinds of complications come into play. And uh, uh, no, re IRS Notice 2014-21 goes through a, a whole bunch of that. And there is another ruling, uh, revenue ruling 2019-24. And you can spend uh, a couple hours reading about how to deal with your Bitcoin, inf including going through over 45 uh, FAQs, just to make sure you haven't missed anything. So um, the biggest issue, and the IRS has been pursuing this hotly, is people who are uh, hiding uh, assets and illegal income in, in uh, cryptocurrencies. Now, uh, as I understand it, the wallet or the facilitator, the company in the back, uh, that has been doing certain reporting to the IRS, and uh, the IRS has certainly been hotly per pursuing uh, getting all the information required uh, to determine whether there are gains and losses in the Bitcoin, and more importantly, if people have been doing nefarious transactions in there, uh, just trying to keep them off the radar screen. Well, uh, this year for the 2019 returns, there's a brand new question on Form 1040, Schedule 1. You can go to your internet, look that up. Um, this, uh, the 1040 forms changed uh, a couple years ago. Uh, we're into uh, Schedule 1, Schedule 2, Schedule 3, where before uh, they didn't have those. But putting that aside, well, right at the top, there's a brand new question and a checkbox, which means you have to, or your computer, or through your computer, have to check yes or no to the question of whether uh, you had any financial interest, any, in any virtual cur currency. So that's, uh, that is about the worst wording they could have. I mean, it does exactly what they what the IRS wants. Any interest in any virtual currency. No minimums, no thresholds. Oh, I can have a couple hundred dollars worth of this and not have to check this box. Yes. No, it says any. Any. So just like we uh, go through with the foreign bank account reports, for those of you who deal with that, on the bottom of Schedule D, there's a box where it says, hey, uh, in what country might you have foreign bank accounts? And uh, did you have over $10,000? Uh, 
And you have to check yes or no. Now, you think, well, it's a yes or no, and there's probably 20, 30 yes, no questions in a tax return, even more for corporate returns and partnership returns. They've gone into this issue of having your return preparer or you yourself kind of audit yourself in the process of doing a tax return. You have to answer so many yes, no questions and do so many self-examining questions, uh, schedules, that by the time you file the return, you've put yourself through the ringer to, to try to squeeze out any information they want. And that, that's been increasing, and currently they're, they're using that strategy, one, because the IRS is not getting enough funding, uh, two, even if they did, they don't want to ask all these questions. Uh, if you've ever gone to an audit, it's uh, three hours of, 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 they literally go through 100 audit, uh, questions in even the most simple tax audit, trying to get to these, these hot issues that could really drive your tax liability. So, so just like the foreign bank account report on the bottom of Schedule B, if you do have uh, foreign bank accounts, and that's for a whole nother episode of this webcast, our podcast here, of all the issues about uh, foreign asset reporting and foreign bank accounts, but you have to say yes or no. And now on Schedule 1 at the top, you have to say yes or no. Do you have any interest in any virtual currency? And so, well, okay, Ron, well, it's one of 50 pages that go in the return, and who's going to read it? And what? Well, here's the upshot. Like the foreign bank account report, if you put no and it's yes, that rises to the legal concept of the, the, uh, the theory of willfulness, willfulness, not, neg- not negligence, not just a mere omission because I didn't understand or I read it too quickly. But if you check the box and you may not even even checked it, maybe your TurboTax checked it because you didn't tell it yes. So TurboTax assumes it's no. And TurboTax got into a lot of trouble on these foreign bank account reports because <laughs> people would uh, get in trouble and then come back to TurboTax and say, why did you say no? I didn't tell you. It, it should have been yes. Well, I didn't check yes, but you assumed it was no. But shouldn't you warn me, warn me? And uh, now we're talking about, about tens and tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars of interest and penalties and problems. Well, now with this cryptocurrency question on the top of Schedule 1, Form 1040, any interest in any virtual currency and you mark no or your computer did and you didn't even know it did it and the answer is yes that's willfulness you have willfully misguided the internal revenue service and the california franchise tax board and people have gone to prison when the amounts involved are, are a problem. Uh, and uh, on, on the sole concept, of course, the person says, well, I didn't know. I really didn't understand this. You know, they plead ignorance, right? Well, they said, no, you affirmatively checked the box, no. So now you're not just uh, uh, confused or a mere omission. You have willfully acted because if you took your reasonable duty to revert, review your tax return, all 50 pages of it, and look at every line and every yes-no question, you should have caught that you were telling us no when it was yes. And so um, this is now, uh, the, uh, while it was always important, you know, we, you always were supposed to report everything, every transaction. On tax returns, you're supposed to get an A. You're not supposed to get an A minus or a B or a C. You're supposed to get an A. And uh, so, so any, any, because if you make excuses as to I didn't know, I didn't understand, I didn't understand the law, uh, my tax preparer did something, I didn't understand it, the reply will always be that is, a, uh, that is an argument of reliance 
reliance. I relied on somebody else, the software or the preparer. And those usually, in most cases, fail with the IRS because when you sign your return electronically or in paper saying uh, this return is complete, true, and correct, it means exactly that. So um, uh, there's a warning that uh, this issue is uh, tightening up and now you're on every return required to make a, an attestation, a, a yes or a no. And while you look at that and say, yeah, wow, it, uh, you know, it doesn't look that important, it's extremely important if you're on the wrong side of that. So when we send out our tax organizers to clients, of course, we've been asking this question and we will continue to ask this question and, and uh, just be aware that uh, that has been tightening up. Again, if you want to uh, become uh, wicked smart on this issue, go to Revenue Ruling 2019-24, uh, become engrossed with all the uh, 45, I think it is, FAQs, and you'll be really, really smart and they'll scare the heck out of you and uh, but in all that certainly hey you're supposed to be reporting it and note that cryptocurrency is uh not a currency it's property and every transaction can be a reportable event now under uh, a, a specific attestation on top of schedule one form 1040 and this is the way tax people think it gets very very uh very very laid out just like that and you're supposed to get an a on these tax turns and answer everything perfectly. All right, well, it's good to know that the IRS uh, in, in uh, July 2019, Congress passed the Taxpayer First Act. So again, in my career, this is probably the 30th time that uh, the IRS is uh, becoming more customer-centered and focused and helpful. There is the Taxpayer Bill of Rights, which I have used a few times when I thought the IRS was doing things that were not appropriate, and I have actually gotten results in invoking Taxpayer Bill of Rights when the auditors are uh, weren't doing the right thing. Now, let me point out, there are uh, uh, there's about 130,000 people at the IRS, and most of them are good people. And there are some people that are extraordinary people, trying to be helpful, trying to work with people, knowing that these lo laws and rules and forms are overwhelming and nobody can get it all right. And I've worked with some wonderful IRS people who are great Americans uh, just doing uh, The problem is with Congress. It's not with the IRS. The IRS simply has to salute and follow the rules and regulations uh, passed by Congress. Uh, um, sometimes in terms of regulations, the IRS gets aggressive and so forth, but even that, that's way above the pay grade of the people you're usually working with. That's being done by people in the ivory towers in Washington, D.C. at the IRS national office. So your line, you know, the people that the public works with at the IRS, most of them are, are just trying to work their job and get their 30 years in or less or whatever and um, uh, get their pensions. And they're just like us. Uh, but some are really bad. Some are really, really bad. And I've had um, occasion to have work with auditors who were aggressive, didn't know the law, didn't care about the math involved and and just wanted to get more uh to get some brownie points somewhere in the system so but most are not most are not and they certainly have an incredibly hard job to do and I, I'm, I'm ranting a bit here but one of the things i tell my clients is you know that irs agent is behaving that way because people lie to him or her all day long we're not lying to him we're telling the truth 
And we're, why are they being so defensive? Why are they being so aggressive? Why don't they just, why can't we just settle this out in a nice, calm way? Well, again, they've probably had two or three appointments before our appointment, and people lie to them all day long. So just like good police officers, right? After you've seen so much and heard so much and experienced so much um, evil, sometimes you get um, cynical and uh, difficult on people, and then Usually our clients, we come along, hey, we're trying to do the right thing. We were as honest as we possibly could be, tried to get an A on that tax return. There's just a few misunderstandings, but they're in much more than a bad mood. They've, they've spent their life looking at the worst of people. So just know that. I, I don't disrespect the IRS at all. But, uh, but like any big organization with 130,000 people in it, of course there's going to be uh, bad apples. So the IRS has uh, a bill was passed, and the IRS is uh, just uh, generally the legislation aims to expand and strengthen taxpayer rights and to reform the IRS into a more taxpayer-friendly agency by requiring it to develop a comprehensive tech customer service strategy, modernize its technology, and enhance its cybersecurity. Okay. The act requires the IRS to develop a thorough strategy for customer service. Well, that'd be great because every time you call them, I tell people get a beer in your hand, uh, maybe have the TV playing because it's going to, in most cases, it's over half an hour if you can even get through the gauntlet of questions on the telephone system. Uh, If you walk into an IRS center here in Oakland, California, or San Jose, uh, the morning shot, you know, about before you'll get to the counter. And then when the person at the counter, no disrespect to them, they don't have the training, the background, or the access to information often to even remotely solve anything more than the most simplest question. So it's, it's I, I go into my moment of zen, zen I, uh, I invoke the force, I, I breathe deeply whenever I call the IRS. And again, with no disrespect to the people involved, I say, okay, speak as if you're speaking to a third grader, not because they're not intelligent, just they're just overwhelmed underpaid and have had a hundred phone calls that day. So, uh, so the IRS, again, it's trying to fix itself, come up with some more strategies. It would be nice if they answered the phone more. Um, I've been hung up on over the years. Oh, I don't know, 10, 15 times after waiting 45 minutes, click. Oh, gee, I'm gone. Right. And the franchise tax board's not a lot better there, but they're trying, they're trying. But again, the root cause problem is Congress passes laws that are absolutely un, 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 untenable to come up with processes and procedures to, uh, to implement, and the poor IRS is doing the best they can. The reality of the situation is not always do the best people go to work for the Internal Revenue Service. At the top levels, absolutely. People, the attorneys and top accountants, they want to get two, three years in with the service, be involved with developing some new regulations, and then they go sell themselves to the big CPA firms or the big law firms, trying to, in some cases, the lawyers make a million bucks a year, and they can say, hey, I wrote this regulation. Of course, I'm the world's expert. And uh, one gentleman I knew years ago, he'd been in and out of the government three times doing exactly that. Went in, wrote the rules, came out, sold himself to, uh, to a big CPA firm who uh, paid him a lot of money because he was the world's expert in the rules he wrote. And uh, then that would wear out after a period of time when he'd go and do it two more times in his career when I met him. Okay, so I, I wish the IRS much, uh, much luck. Uh, I will just say the 2017 Tax Act was horrendous in its complexity 
uh, for the upper levels. For the lower levels, it did make some things simpler with higher standard deductions and uh, uh, more uh, child care credits. It did make some things simpler, but uh, for the high end, especially international, it's gone into complete bizarro land. I don't know how they're ever going to even uh, get through these tax returns uh, going into the future for high end individuals. So there's some on the uh, Taxpayer First Act and the fact the IRS is trying to be like a corporation uh, in the real world, in the public world, trying to have high customer service. I wish them the best of luck. Okay, so moving on to um, deficits and taxes. So this has been an issue that I've been following ever since I got out of college and we thought we had high federal deficits back in the 70s. Well, here we are. And again, without getting political and placing blame, here's some statistics. Uh, you know, the, the federal government has an October fiscal year end. So they, they, uh, they close their books as of the end of October, and, they, and it takes several months to work all through that because it's, it's, it's a lot of work. Uh, uh, the U.S. government's about a $4.5 trillion organization, so it takes the accountants a lot of time. Well, they close their books, and the deficit, so there's debt and there's deficit, right? The debt is the total amount of liabilities the government owes. On the books, that's $22.7 trillion, $22.7 trillion. And I'll tell you in a minute why that's way, way low. That's way understating the reality. And the deficit is the amount of the shortfall between the money that came in and uh, the money that went out in the first year, in, in each year. That's the deficit. So, uh, the deficit, the difference between the money that came in through taxes and the money that went out was $1.02 trillion uh, for the last fiscal year ending in 2019, which is just, it's just horrible. It's up 17% from uh, 2018, and 2018 was up 28% from 2017. So we are on a roll. So the total debt, meaning all the U.S. Treasury bonds and other obligations of the federal government, is $22.7 trillion, but that is not correct. I will be blunt, that's a lie. It's a lie. Because the government only counts th things that are near cash. What I mean, they count all the treasury bonds out there. But they have pensions to the Army and the Navy, and they have Social Security obligations to all of us, and they don't have to count those until they become cash. Now. On the accrual basis of accounting, any corporation, everybody would go to jail if they didn't take the present value, that's the discounted present value of all outstanding contractual obligations. Well, the government has incredible contractual obligations to, to hundreds of millions of people. It guarantees debts of other people, other companies, other countries. Uh, and nobody says, well, let's figure out on the government's balance sheet what is the net present value. And the reason they don't do that is because instantly the federal government would be so insolvent that they'd never sell another treasury bond. And that would be the end of the world as we know it. So uh, um, that's why $22.7 trillion, trillion of debt is way understated. I've read from a number of... Uh, um, from a number of academics who have actually tried to do that accounting math, that it's more like $250 trillion, not 22.7. That is the real debt, that the, 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 the treasury bond debt that we think of, that we look at, is, is maybe a tenth of the true accrual basis 
obligations. And, and there is a rule under, uh, so we can blame the accountants, there's a rule under government accounting pro, uh, procedures and pronouncements that says, that's right, you don't have to count those until they're near cash obligations. That means it's coming due very, very soon. It's terrible, it's terrible, it's, it's a fraud. It's a fraud of accounting uh, because, because those obligations are real. You and I wake up every morning saying, this is gonna be great. Now when I get to 62 or 63, I'm gonna walk down to Social Security, they're gonna start giving me checks, they're gonna cover my Medicare, and it's all okay because the great big government's largesse is gonna take care of me. I've been paying in all these years. Well, well, they, they, the, you and I consider that absolutely real and critical to our future, but the government doesn't count it. They make believe it doesn't exist until it becomes near almost due in the current year. It's terrible, it's horrible. So don't think about $22. trillion, think about $250 trillion, and you might uh, have a, a better understanding of the reality of uh, the national debt. Okay, well, the one thing that can happen with national debt is that, that the interest on the debt squeezes out their ability to pay for the Army and the Navy and the, and the, and the, the forest preserves, uh, the national parks and all that, and everything else the government does. So interest is right now about 13% of the government budget. If interest went up a little bit uh, to 3.5% overall, uh, um, it, the interest would be 17% of the budget in 2024, and if it went up to 4%, the overall interest rate, the interest would be 20% of the budget. So just, I'll, again, trying not to get political, I think this is an objective observation that interest rates have to stay low because if interest rates aren't maintained low by the Federal Reserve Bank, uh, uh, the, the crushing amount of interest would simply end the, uh, the money supply. It would, it would, yeah, the interest would squeeze out all kinds of other government expenditures, and um, uh, they'd have to start cutting back. I, I've, re I've heard and read that the solution to this is to cut back Social Security by about 35%. Of course, people would be in the streets with bayonets and guns and, and brooms and, and revolting against everyone they could if Grandma's Social Security was cut back by 30%. And so uh, they'll have to do something else to uh, make that happen. Okay, again, not trying to get too political, but I think we are facing a cataclysm in the future because our money is, uh, is, is not backed up by gold or anything. The only thing that backs up our money is the fact that you and I wake up in the morning and say, I'm gonna work my job and I'm gonna pay my taxes in what other, whatever US dollars of whatever value it might have uh, as time goes on. And then the uh, US dollar today, uh, put it another way, the U.S. dollar in 1945 buys about 26 or 27 times what it buys today. And that's the ongoing, endless uh, re depreciation of the value of a unit of currency. Um, and maybe another con con uh, mit in the podcast, we'll get into who benefits by that. Okay, but back to um, this. Okay, um, on the last two things I wanted to mention, um, the IRS uh, continues to warn people about scams. Look, I, I get telephone calls. Uh, the IRS is coming to my house, and if I don't uh, call this number and give them a credit card number, uh, you know they'll they'll take me away uh, with with uh, handcuffs 
and uh, they'll go take all my bank accounts. And I mean, really serious sounding threats. Now, often with no disrespect to any culture, there's usually a thick accent that goes around with those, goes with those telephone calls. But uh, uh, more importantly, uh, I know that it, that is not true. It's not true. But, and they really do a terrible thing. I've had clients call me nearly in tears thinking, Ron, Ron, I thought we did the returns right. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, so uh, first of all, did you get any letters in the mail? No. So let me first say, almost always, unless someone is basically a terrorist, almost always, the first contact with the Internal Revenue Service will be a fairly polite Nice letter. Hey, we noticed this and that kind of didn't agree with that on your return. And why don't you take 30 days and think about it and write us back with some evidence about why you're right. Or and then we'll talk again. If, uh, if you're wrong, maybe you want to pay it. And then the second letter is, hey, we gave you 30 days. Uh, we haven't heard from you. Uh, we really need to hear from you uh, by the end of the next 30 days. And then the third letter is, Oh, now you haven't heard, we haven't heard from you at all, and we're really thinking about slapping a lien on something. And then the fourth letter is, okay, we're going to slap a lien if we don't hear from you. And th- so you literally get to a series of six letters, and there's a very good reason for that. It's due process. It's in the U.S. Constitution. It says, you know, unlike on the, in the Revolutionary War, you, the, uh, the British would just walk into your house and take your stuff or steal your crops, right? So there's a long tradition, long tradition, it's very good, of due process. First, you have to be advised. You have to have a chance to respond. You have to have a chance to bring evidence. If it was a courtroom, you have to have a chance to see your accuser and bring witnesses. It's the same thing. That's why you get letter one, letter two, letter three, letter four. And that's why after letter five or six, uh, the IRS then is authorized under longstanding law to say, all right, well, you've had your due process, game over. And they clean out your bank account, your ATM card doesn't work that day, and you say, what the hell happened? And you call them up, and they say, we got six letters. Uh, what do you mean, what happened? <laughs> We've been, And then you find out they've been sending them to the wrong address, which was something I mentioned in the podcast a couple of weeks ago, make sure your tax authorities have your right address in case anything goes wrong and you, you hear about it on letter number one. So coming back to the point is due process. Uh, if you knowing that fact, if somebody calls you and says the police are on the way, unless you right now get out your credit card, which never, never do and give us some money. Uh, um, those are all scams. Um, and please, please don't respond. I mean, they know they get about a 1% response rate. So they call hundred people, you know, 90 of them hang up on them. Uh, six or seven more uh, are interested, but kind of listen and then go, nah, I don't think so. And then one poor old lady with uh, Alzheimer's, no disrespect, will get out her credit card. And so they're just working the numbers, working the numbers. Now, a terrible, terrible consequence of uh, these, uh, they, this, is, this was in the news, um, a group out of uh, Saudi Arabia, I believe, making these phone calls. You know, they get these trunk lines and these special phone numbers and they're just uh, they're playing with the phone system, trying to be uh, uh, untraceable to get back to them. Well, uh, um, they they get mad at people who just say, "Hey, I know what this is. Hey, take you know, get off my phone, or you know, I'm 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 not going to deal with this. I know it's a scam. Shame on you." And I've had some discussions like, "Can't you please find another honorable way to make a living?" <laughs> you know, I was talking to some folks in some Arab country, and no disrespect to the Arabs, it's just that's where they were from. And I said, "Please, you know." Uh, 
under whatever God it is you have. Like, please, isn't there a better way that you think you can enhance yourself and humanity? <laughs> and they finally, you know, swore at me a few times and hung up. But sometimes they've gotten really mad and they've called your local police. And uh, 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 in several cases, they've told the police that there's uh, you know, a person there with an AR-15 and, and uh, they're about ready to shoot people. And, and, and so the next thing you know after dealing with some clown on the phone who wants you to pay his taxes and you were mean or hung up on him, the SWAT team shows up. And sometimes people have been hurt because there's been mistakes. Uh, 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 so uh, that's the new tactic they, 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 they used. Uh, this was a few years ago. So uh, I would just hang up. I would just hang up. Uh, and if you get a call from the IRS, it's only at either you're having an ongoing conversation in the conduct of an audit or you're dealing with the collection agency. You know them maybe by name. They know you. Uh, but people, uh, cold calls uh, uh, with threats and demands for immediate payment, um, uh, just hang up because you just don't even want to be talking to these folks. Okay, finally, the uh, IRS is starting to use private debt collection. Now, I, I have a couple of comments about this. I've had a few clients get uh, 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 having to deal with this. The, the thing is, the IRS is, uh, they're using the computers more and more and more. They have fewer and fewer human beings. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, the IRS is down like 30,000 people in the last, uh, since uh, 2080, I believe. I'm, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, uh, 1980, yeah. They're down like 30,000 people. And um, so the computer in the sky is, is looking for you. And it sent stuff to the wrong address. And nobody, and years have gone by, and interest and, and penalties have accumulated, and no human being over all these years has sat down and said, who is this? Maybe I can find them in the phone book. Uh, maybe they filed someone else with the IRS. They do some AI searching throughout their database, but they couldn't find you. So uh, ultimately, they handed over to a collection, a private collection. Now, they were not allowed to do this until legislation was passed a few years ago and we have a company i don't know about 20 miles from here that they're using a performant in of livermore california which is just i don't know 10 miles over the hill from here and um um they the collection agency they have a whole uh, whole set of tools uh the Private investigators call it skip tracing, right? They, they check Lexus, Nexus, uh, go through everything that's available to the public, anything that was recorded, deeds everywhere, uh, anything like that. And uh, they're much more able to find out where you are. Um, and then they say, by the way, you owed this tax, you know, 10 years ago, and, and now it's double or triple the original amount. And the IRS uh, computer tried as it could, mailing things out, certified mail. You have gotten all your due process rights. I come back to that uh, because you got letter one through six, seven, eight, and follow-ups over the years, and you ignored us. So now we're just a collection agency just like any other collection agency, and uh, um, you have to uh, deal with us very, very quickly or, or the uh, legal and financial troubles just will mount. I, I, I wish the IRS internally would at least, before they refer those cases over, have a human being sit with it for 20 minutes and look at the data they have and 
And uh, uh, because I, I'm sure they can often find the, the fine people. Uh, they don't, they, but what happens is they rely solely on the computer and mailing things out. When the computer gets no response, nothing's come back, uh, they simply don't have the, ham, the manpower to have somebody sit with it and uh, do some deep thinking and some deep searching. So now people have to deal with uh, collection agencies. And of course, if you're someone who is just hiding, you know, you owed $50,000 and you just ignore them and you don't know what to do. And of course, you know, it could be a sad situation. It might not have been your fault, but uh, years have gone by. Then, you know, collection agencies are going to do what collection agencies do. And uh, be aware that um, there's, a, there's a company called Conserve of Fairport, New York, and performant of Livermore, California, and pioneer of Horseheads, oh, New York. Hmm, interesting name. So, yes, uh, clients go nuts because they, they get this letter from this company, and it has IRS logos on it, and at first they say, oh, that's fraud. Well, maybe not, maybe not. There's, and, and you can go to the IRS webpage because they have a whole discussion. Just put in private debt collectors at irs.gov, and you go, oh, oh, that's one of them. Now, be careful because what are the bad guys going to do? They're going to copy all those logos, and they're going to start sending out letters to people and having telling them to send money to uh, other uh, uh, post office boxes and things like that. And uh, uh, so always, always, when you get a letter what it purports to be a private collection uh, agency of the IRS, always file, file, follow up by calling the IRS first to say, hey, is this real? And they'll tell you. They'll tell you. And then, then you know at least uh, whatever the problems are that you have to work through, that you're not dealing with another scammer who uh, is just trying to get you to send money to some far-off country. All right, well, I think those are the issues I wanted to cover today. Again, this is Ron Cohen with the firm of Greenstein, Rogoff, Olson & Company. Uh, Caveat again, take no reliance on anything you heard here. If you really have a tax situation, call us, call somebody else, sit down, make sure they've gone through it. You understand all the risks before you do any transaction or put any number on any tax return based on any tax advice uh, until you're very comfortable with the person who's given it to you and that the advice is, is valid. And uh, thank you again, and we'll see you next week.